Uh, we're going to begin today in a, a little bit of a new series. It's going to be short between now and Easter, but we'll be talking about the conversations that Jesus had that are recorded for us in the Gospel of John. And we'll look at four of them. The Gospel of John uh, has more dialogue uh, with uh, J- Jesus in dialogue with other people than any other gospel. So today we're going to look at Nicodemus and chapter 3. And uh, let's, uh, before we start on that, bow our heads together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the chance to be gathered here. And uh, your love, it does awaken us. And I pray that in these minutes to come, that, Lord, you'll speak to each of our hearts in love, in tenderness, and that something new will be awakened in each of us. Do your work in us through your Spirit, according to our need, and according to your great love and purpose. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, I'd like to share just a little data point with you. Uh, This is from George Barna, who is a uh, a pollster. He uh, studies churches and the Christian culture in our country. And uh, this is one of the conclusions that he reaches. Uh, He shares this in one of his books. He says, on average, nearly half of the people who attend worship services at Protestant churches are not Christians. By this I mean that they have never made an intentional commitment to Christ that included a confession of their sins and that serves as a basis of their belief that they will have eternal salvation. I was kind of shocked when I I first read that. And, uh, and then I started thinking about it, and we're going to talk a little bit about that today. But uh, Jesus, I think, would agree with uh, his assessment. He, he says in the Sermon on the Mount that, uh, you know, narrow is the gate and straight is the way that leads to life, and few there are who find it. And... Uh, You know, some, he says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not do all this stuff in your name? And Jesus will say, he'll look at them and say, I I never knew you. So in the words of the song that nobody knew in the first service, (laughs) but uh, serve as the title for this message, which which shows you what I know. Uh, But uh, not everybody talking about heaven's going to. You don't know it either. See, <laughs> Not everybody talking about heaven's going to go there. And I, I don't know about you, but that that makes me think about me. And it makes me think about you. And so statistically, and maybe our, our church probably isn't statistically average. I don't think it is. I hope it's not. But statistically, there are probably a number of people here today, uh, a significant number maybe, who you've considered yourselves to be Christians all your lives. But maybe 
when it comes right down to it, you're not. And how can we know? How can we be sure? What's the requirement? And so this is what Jesus talks to Nicodemus about in chapter 3. And so I'd like to look at what he says in these these verses. And I'll kind of paraphrase the the conversation as we we go through it here. But uh, beginning in verse 1, it says this, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus was a good guy. He was a Pharisee. He was uh, a member of the ruling uh, group. And if, if he had a funeral, they, they would have said at his funeral, you know, if anybody was going to heaven, it would have been Nicodemus. You know, he was, he was a good man. And he came to Jesus by night. And we don't know why. Maybe, he, you know, it was the best time to find Jesus alone. Maybe Nicodemus was a little embarrassed. He was, uh, didn't want to be uh, rejected by his peers. So we just don't know. But Jesus cuts right to the chase with Nicodemus. I don't think John records for us all the words that were spoken probably in this dialogue. But he gives us the essence of it in a nutshell. And Jesus gets right to the point as it's recorded for us here in John. And he says, Nicodemus, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And so the message is very clear. And then Nicodemus responds and and says, How can a man be born when he's old? He, how, how, can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? I think he was kind of caught off guard probably by what Jesus said. Uh, interpreted it literally, which of course creates this absurd picture of being reborn physically. And, uh, you know, of course that's not what, what Jesus meant as he goes on to explain. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born, of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So Jesus is, is saying it's a spiritual thing. People have taken this verse and tried to understand what's he mean by water and the Spirit. Does he mean, you know, the amniotic fluid when you're physically born? Is that the water? Is it the water of baptism? Probably not either of those. It's probably a reference back to something that was said in Ezekiel, where Ezekiel talks about being reborn in, in, you know, with a cleansing of water and renewal of the Spirit. So, essentially, without overanalyzing it, Jesus is saying this is a spiritual thing we're talking about. It's not physical rebirth, it's spiritual rebirth. And, and so, he goes on to say that. He says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So it's a spiritual thing that Jesus is talking about. And uh, it's something it is invisible, like the wind. And you can't predict it. You can't control it, necessarily. Uh, and but you can see the effects of it, and uh, so that's kind of where he leaves it. 
And then Nicodemus responds again and says, how can these things be? He's a deer in the headlights. He, he doesn't know what Jesus is talking about. And Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. So he gives him a gentle rebuke. He says, you really ought to know what I'm talking about. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we've seen. But you do not receive our testimony. And if you had have, if I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. And I think the points Jesus is making there are, are simply that uh, he knows what he's talking about. You know, I, I no one's gone up into heaven, but I came from heaven. Heaven's my home. You can trust what I'm telling but Nicodemus, you and your colleagues are not particularly receptive. And uh, so we're at the end of this, near close to the end of this conversation uh, at verse 13. And uh, Jesus has essentially said two things. You must be born again. Three times he repeats, you must be born again. And three times he says, truly, 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 I say to you, truly, truly, I say to you, I know what I'm talking about. If you don't believe anything else I say, you can believe this. You can be certain of this. You must be born again. So for us today, listening to this 20 centuries later, the message is clear. We must be born again or we cannot see or we cannot enter the kingdom of of God. So what's it mean? What does it mean? Well, he goes on in this passage in verse 14 to give us what I think is really one of the shortest summaries of the gospel in the Bible, where he says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up. And uh, so that whoever believes in him, verse, verse, four, verse 15, so whoever believes in him uh, will have eternal life. And uh, so Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. What's he talking about? And, uh, you know, sometimes you wish this stuff was a little easier. But it's a, it's a common story in the Old Testament that Nicodemus would have been very familiar with and and, you know, Israel wandering in the wilderness was grumbling against God. And so God sent a plague of snakes. These were fiery snakes that when they bit the people, they died and people were dying. And so God said to Moses, make a staff and a bronze snake and put it on the end of the staff. And, I, and when people look at the bronze snake, they'll be healed. I think the medical profession may still use this as a, a symbol in, in some uh, places. But uh, so, so it, it, it's, a, it's a wonderful analogy for, for what happened at the cross. And Jesus said, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, not on a pole and not as a snake, but as a Savior on a cross. So that snake-bitten 
dying sinners, when they look to Jesus, when they see the Savior, when they see His blood, when they see the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, when they see the One who is pierced for our transgressions, who bears the burden of our sin, when we see and we believe, we're healed. It's as simple as that. And so, whoever believes has eternal life. And so, I want to spend a little bit more time on this last phrase and these two elements. What does it mean to have eternal life? To be born again simply means to have the life of God growing inside of us. The life which is eternal. And literally, the words in this, this, at the end of that, that verse are that they might have life eternal. Life which is eternal. See, the Greeks had different words for life. And, and they had, you know, there was bios and suke, which stand for biological life and physical or for emotional and spiritual life. We get our word psychology and biology. And we all have that life. But we don't all have the third kind of life that is described by the word that John uses here. It's zoe. And it's, it's, it's a life that's unique to God. And what John is saying, what Jesus is saying here, is that when you are born again, you are given a new and unique quality of life that God plants divine DNA in your soul. It wasn't there before, but it's there now. And so you say, well, isn't everybody, uh, you know, there, there's, a, there's a verse in, earlier in John, it says, but as many as received Him, meaning Jesus, as many as received Jesus, to them He gave the right to become the children of God. And uh, you say, well, isn't everybody a child of God? And the answer is no. Uh, you know, biblically, uh, God created everybody. God loves everybody in the world. But God's children are those who've been born again. God's children are those who have His life in them. In a unique way. So I, I, I love all children. I really do love children. But my children are special to me. Because they have my life in them if not my biological life, in the case of three of them, they have my emotional life. I have invested myself in them in a unique way that I haven't invested myself in any other children. And so God, when we, when we come to the cross and, God, and, and, and receive Christ, we, God invests Himself in us. 
in a unique way. And we have this life that makes us different. And the reason that God does this is because He knows that He wants us to be with Him forever. And if we are going to live in a new creation, then we are going to have to become new creatures. If we are fish living in the ocean, and we are one day going to live in on the land of eternity, then we need to get lungs. And so God is retrofitting us in this life so that when we die and come back to life, we're ready to go. There's something that's happened in our soul that equips us when we come to Christ that enables us to live forever. If we want to live in the new heavens and the new earth, then we've got to become new creatures. And uh, this life that is planted in us now is, is not particularly visible when we look the same as we did before we came to Christ. Uh, but there's something different that's happening on the inside. This Zoe is at work. It's stirring us up. It's shaping us. It's changing us. It's redirecting us. It's enabling us to begin to breathe a new kind of atmosphere. One day, the life that is now hidden in Christ, Paul talks about in Colossians 3, is going to be revealed when Christ is revealed in glory. And we will be revealed with Him. As, as I, I like to quote C.S. Lewis, one day we'll be so radiant with God's love, with God's life, with His glory, with His joy, with His wisdom and power. If we could see ourselves now as we will be then, we'd be tempted to worship. So if you've come to Christ, if you've been born again, no wonder Jesus called it being born again. If you've been born again, there's something stirring inside of you. Something that's never going to die. I had an opportunity to travel in Germany when I was uh, in my 20s with my friend Brad Thurston. And we went to Tübingen, Germany uh, as part of our trip. And we visited a home there. It was being run by a Christian couple. It's a, it was a halfway house for uh, teenagers that are trying to uh, get a new start in their life. It was a great ministry that they had. And they shared with us the history of the home. And it had been used at one point in World War II as a, a school for Hitler youth, uh, you know, and, and training, training them. And so I thought, what, what a contrast you know, between what was going on inside the house, you know, 30 or 40 years ago, and what was going on in that house when we were there. And I thought, there's a metaphor for what the Christian life is, is, is supposed to look like. Same body, same house, but something different is going on inside. Something's changed. There's new management. That's, that's what it means to be born again. To have God's life 
growing inside of us, equipping us to live in his kingdom, which will have no end. And so what does it mean to believe? Apparently, that single word is the key to crossing the line, to passing through the birth canal of this spiritual moment which holds so much promise for our transformation. To everyone who believes, they will have eternal life. So let's talk about belief. It's used 90, the word is used 98 times in the Gospel of John. And so it's a key word for John. And it, it, it does not mean just intellectually agreeing with the facts of the Gospel. That Jesus died for our sins, etc., etc. Um, the devil believes that. Uh, it's, it's not having an emotional experience. It's not just, you know, coming forward. I, I came forward in a crusade or at a church service and I had an emotional moment and I was stirred and therefore I must be saved. And it's not a ritual. It's not just going through a series of rituals. Being baptized, communion, saying a prayer, having a formula of words spoken over you. I always like the story of the, the, the Catholic priest and the Jewish man that lived next door and the priest was working on his neighbor to convert him to Catholicism. And he finally said to him, uh, he says, listen, all you need to do is say, once I was a Jew, now I'm a Catholic. Once I was a Jew, now I'm a Catholic. Once I was a Jew, now I'm a Catholic. Three times. So the neighbor said, OK, I'll do this to get you off my back. So he did that and uh, everything was fine for a couple of weeks. Then the priest stopped by for a visit and the guy was grilling uh, chicken on Friday when you're only supposed to eat fish. And the priest, you know, rebuked him for that. And, and the guy says, oh, that's OK. I took the chicken and I said, once you're a chicken, now you're a fish. Once you're a chicken, now you're a fish. <laughs> and uh, so it's not just a matter of having some words spoken over you. It's not it's not a ritual. It's not a set of intellectual beliefs. It's not an emotional experience. So what is what does it mean to believe? How can I be born again? And I think the simple way to define it is to say believe means to receive. And a guy was translating John chapter one, verse 12 into a, a, a different language. And uh the John, that, that verse says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. And the guy said, what word can I pick that will best convey what it means to receive Christ? And he said, well, this, in this particular tribal group, they had multiple words for receive. They had, you could receive something as a gift with one hand. You could receive it with two hands. You could receive it if it was heavy with, 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 with your arms. Or they also had a word that meant to receive a wife. And he said, that's it. If, you've, if you're married and you have received a wife or a husband, you know 
the implications. <laughs> it is a life-changing commitment that we make. It shapes who we are. It affects how we think, what we do, what we say, where we go, who we're with. It's a perfect word to represent the biblical meaning of believe. To believe means to say, I do to Jesus Christ. And the question for you today is, is have you said that? And th this could be the most important message I ever preach. It may not be the best message I ever preach, but it, it's the most important. And this may be the most important message you've ever heard today. You know, they talk about space tourism and uh, Elon Musk and some of those guys are, are ready in a few years to take people into outer space. And uh, you can orbit the earth. Maybe you'll be able to go to the moon. If you have a spare couple hundred million dollars lying around your house, you know, you too could be a space tourist. And, uh, you know, you, you could believe that, that uh, they are capable of taking people into outer space and bringing them back safely. You could believe and even understand the engineering and the math and the astrophysics and everything that's involved in a successful launch and orbit and landing. You could believe and know everything about all that. But you haven't believed in the biblical sense of the word believe until you get in the capsule. Until you buckle up and say, I'm ready to be launched. In our bulletin every week, we have a simple prayer. We call it the sinner's prayer. And uh, it's not a formula. There's nothing magic about the words, but it does try to capture the essence of what it means to believe. And I'll just run through it with you now. Uh, you know, it's, it's, I believe Jesus, thank, in you, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I ask you to come into my heart. Forgive me for my sins. And come into my heart and sit on the throne and be the Lord of my life. Make me the person that you want me to be. And give me life, new life. It will last forever. You know, eternal life doesn't start when we die. Eternal life starts the moment that you say, I do, to Jesus Christ. Once you've made this, this commitment in your heart, you don't have to say that prayer, but you just know, this, you've said, yes, I, this is what I want for me. And once you've done that, then the Christian faith goes from being just something historical to being something personal. It goes from being something that's intellectual to being something that's relational. It goes from being something that's out there that other people experience to something that's in here. It's a part of who I am. It goes from being 
in a compartment of my life where I keep my religion to being a part of all the compartments of my life that includes my work, my family, my recreation, everything else. It goes from being uh, something I do on Sunday morning to something that I do 24-7. Being born again means to, have, to invite God's life to come inside of you and to, and to grow. And it changes everything. Well, how, how, how can you know that you've crossed the line? That you've said, I do. You say, well, I, you know, I said that prayer. Or I went forward at that, that meeting. And I think I did make a commitment. Let, let me give you three, uh, three benchmarks that are often used to help people be assured of where they stand with God. And the first would be this question. Did you pray this prayer or make this commitment sincerely from your heart? And uh, if so, then look, you know, God's taken your commitment at face value. You don't need to twist his arm. You know, you don't need to plead for hours. You know, just I, I prayed this sinner's prayer when I was 16. I must have prayed it like a couple dozen times, like every night I'd pray the sinner's prayer, you know, every night. And then finally, realized, you know, I don't need to keep doing this. Even though I didn't necessarily feel anything, I, I just, I, I was sincere. I really wanted this to be a part of my life. And, uh, and, 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 and you can be the same. You know, we, we, we can know that, that, that we are in God's family. John writes, I write these things to you who believe, in other words, who have received Jesus as the Son of God in order that you might know that you have eternal life. And so we base our security on God's promise. We meet the condition God keeps His promise. Second thing is that the Spirit who comes to live inside of us will testify to our spirit that we are the children of God. I think there are moments in our life, and they may not be right away after you're converted, but there are moments in our life when we emotionally feel, yeah, I am connected to God. I, I had a person share with me after it's a number of weeks ago after we, we we talked about prophecy from 1 Corinthians 14 and had people listen to what God might be saying to them in the service. And she said, I got nothing. And, uh, but I went home that afternoon. And it was like God came and filled me. And I had a feeling of love and His spirit inside of me that that was utterly unique and it it was healing for what I have been going through and I just wanted to pray all day long. 
you know, we can't live on that mountaintop. And I'm sure she hasn't, but um, from time to time, I think we can ask the Spirit to come and and, uh, testify to our heart that we are God's children. And uh, the third thing about uh, how we can know is whether or not our life is changing. Is there evidence based on the way that we live that we have God's life inside of us? And Nicodemus would be an example for us of this because we don't know what happened to him after chapter 3 until we read chapter 7. And Nicodemus is in a meeting with his peers and he says, hey, wait a second, before you condemn Jesus, shouldn't we give him a fair hearing? He took a big risk to speak up for Jesus in that context. And then after Jesus died, he was the one that went with Joseph of Arimathea to Pilate to ask permission to bury Jesus' body. And Nicodemus provided 75 pounds of spices. Somehow, I think, he had embraced, you know, Jesus and the gospel in his own way. And, 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 and so I think, is there, is there evidence in your life? If it is like they used to say, if you were arrested tomorrow for being a Christian, would be enough evidence to convict you. And, you know, in my life, I look back and I, at 16 when I accepted Christ and, and, you know, I, I can look back and say, you know, my life has taken a, a path that I never would have even dreamed at the age of 16. And so much of it has been because of my commitment to Christ. And I'm not saying that I'm a, a perfect individual because I am so far from that. It's not even funny. I am not what I should be. I am not what I'm going to be. But I thank God I'm not what I used to be. And so if you can say that, with all your imperfections and sins, I think you've got every reason to rejoice that God's life is at work inside of you and that that life is eternal. So, you know, there was a, a, a guy that we interviewed for a senior pastor role here and uh, he shared his testimony with us. He grew up as a Baptist and he'd gone through all the motions as a Baptist, he'd gone to Bible college and he'd been trained for the ministry. And he was a, a pastor in a church. He's on the staff of a Baptist church. And he said, I wasn't saved. That's the way he put it. And I, it was at that point in my life that I came to the realization that I needed to re, really, truly receive Christ in a more personal way. And I share that because I, I think I, I don't want to leave anyone out today. Maybe you've been a part of the church for a long time. Maybe you're uh, a, a, a leader in the church. Maybe you've got a, 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 a role as an elder. Or you're on the administrative team of the church or you lead a life group or you're even on staff, heaven forbid. But, but whoever, you know, it could be anybody. This 
may be your moment to say, I do to Jesus Christ in a way that you haven't yet. And, and, and maybe you're here and, you know, this is the first time you've been here. You, you're new here and, you know, this is a little bit new to you and you're thinking about it. This could be your moment, too. And I, I, I wanted to give you an opportunity to respond. This bulletin insert is, is what we, we put together. And uh, I'd love to have you uh, look at this. And, it, you know, if... Uh, if, if you would like somebody, I, I will do the follow up. If you want, if you want me to follow up with you and talk with you about this, you know, I would love to do that. People say you're busy. This is the most important thing I could do is to talk with you about the health of your soul. And I would, I would love to have the opportunity. So there are boxes here if you want. I have questions I would like to explore with a pastor. So you're not at the stage where you're ready to say I do, but you got some things you'd like to talk about. Uh, today I receive Christ into my heart. Please contact me about next steps. Or I would like to learn more about being baptized. It's the visible declaration of the invisible commitment that you make in your heart. Or... Uh, there may be something other that you'd like to talk about with respect to this issue. And so as we take communion today and as we take the offering, we encourage you to drop that in the in the plate so that we can respond to you. But uh, we do invite everyone to join us for communion. If you've received Christ, as we've talked about in your your life, you don't have to be perfect. Uh, but but uh, nobody is. But if if you're if you've begun your walk with Christ, then you are welcomed at this table, and um, we uh, we remember Jesus' words that he spoke in the upper room on the night that he was betrayed. After taking the bread and blessing it, he he broke it and he said, "This bread is my body, which is given for you. Take it and eat it in remembrance." Of me. In the same manner, Jesus took the cup, and after blessing it, he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Take it and drink it, each one of you, in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for uh, the time we've had to reflect on this passage, and I pray that if there are those here, who have not made this commitment, Lord, to You, have not invited You to uh, come and live inside of their hearts and lives. That this would be the day. And as these elements are passed, as the bread goes down, as the cup is uh, swallowed, Lord, we, we pray that as we ingest these, these symbols, that something more important would be coming inside of each of us. More of your life, more of your love, more of your forgiveness, your hope, your purpose.
your presence. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.